Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 66. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. And on today's podcast, I'm joined by the CEO of the Sugar Bowl, Jeff Hundley. And I have a great conversation with him about his job, the Sugar Bowl, what the college football playoff was like this year with COVID. That and much more coming up shortly here on the Galloway Podcast. I want to remind you, the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out on those three platforms and be sure to share with your friends on social media. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about the Galloway Podcast, you can hit me up on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. As always, we're going to start with what's new. We're going to bring in our guest today. It's Jeff Hundley, the CEO of the Sugar Bowl. And we will finish up with a round Alabama athletics. I want to thank you for choosing the Galloway podcast. So, without further ado, let's kick off episode 66 and start with what's new. Super Bowl Sunday is just a handful of days away. The Chiefs and the Bucks. Tom Brady once again in the Super Bowl. He's in his 10th Super Bowl, and I'm in my 22nd year of life. It really th- makes you think about just his dominance. And on that note, talking about his dominance, I can't pick against Brady and the Bucks. Of course, it's been Brady and the Patriots for all these years, but I say never bet against Brady. Don't pick against him. Don't bet against him. Sure, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid are defending Super Bowl champions, but this is Tom Brady. This is a new year. This is a new team. And I'm picking the Bucks. You may say otherwise, and that's totally okay. It is the greatest quarterback of all time versus a guy who's knocking on the door, a very young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, to possibly try and surpass Tom Brady. That seems insurmountable right now, what Brady has done, but Mahomes' career is just getting started. Really excited for this upcoming Super Bowl. What else is new in the world of sports? National Signing Day is tomorrow. Today, we're recording. It's Tuesday. Tomorrow is Wednesday, and it'll be National Signing Day Part 2 for the class of 2021. Obviously, Alabama has, I think, over half of their class already enrolled on campus, working with strength and conditioning, getting used to the playbook, play calling. They're already on campus. Alabama is so far ahead in the class of 2021 that tomorrow is really just a secondary day. Nick Saban will meet with the media, as he always does on National Signing Day. He'll talk about the class. He'll give an update. I'm sure reporters will ask plenty of questions about National Signing Day, what's going on in the program, what's been happening with new coaches since the national championship. There's been a lot, and he hasn't spoken with the media since Alabama won the national championship, so that should be interesting. National Signing Day tomorrow, and obviously, as I've been saying, Alabama is light years ahead. I'm sure there will be a couple signees, a couple commits, um, but it, at this point, it really doesn't matter if you're Auburn, if you're Georgia, if you're Ohio State, if you're Clemson, because you're still just trying to climb the ladder and be Alabama. A very tall task. Moving on, and what else is new in the world of sports? This was announced just a couple hours ago on this Tuesday, February 2nd. EA Sports is bringing back NCAA football. That is fantastic news. Literally does not get better than that on a Tuesday when you're kind of just going through the motions and EA Sports drops a bomb on you, so to speak. A game that I played growing up, I'll have to go back to my parents' house, dust off my PS2, and whip out some NCAA 14 because that's the last game I have on the latest console I have is the PlayStation 2. Uh, Might be time to reinvest in a gaming device, maybe an Xbox, maybe a PlayStation 5. Hey, if you're selling something, 
let me know. I'd love to play some NCAA when it comes out. Only taking 10 hours this semester. Got some time on my hands, so might as well. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter if you're selling an Xbox or a PlayStation or whatever they have these days. I'd love to play some NCAA. So, that is really what's new in the world of sports. We'll talk to Jeff Hundley now, CEO of the Sugar Bowl here on the Galloway Podcast. I want to remind you that the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So let's kick it over now to the interview here on the Galloway Podcast, Episode 66. I'm joined now by Jeff Hundley, the CEO of the Allstate Sugar Bowl here on the Galloway Podcast. Mr. Hundley, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule. How are you on this good fine good, week? William. Good to be with you. Uh, we're kind of uh, catching our breath now after a long, hard year, but uh, things are good, and I hope they are with you. Absolutely. Spring semester, senior year, things are moving uh, too too quickly, honestly. Um, but I want to ask you, so you mentioned, you know, just wrapping up another year. Talk about your calendar year and your job, because, you know, everybody knows the Sugar Bowl is played on New Year's Day, and that's the, the high of the um, – organization so to speak but your calendar year isn't january to january it's kind of please just walk us through you know as you explain your year yeah absolutely well most of the time you know i I still get it even today uh when i tell them i work for the sugar bowl they'll they'll say that's a full-time job (laughs) yeah i better believe it's a full-time job and it's it's a lot more full-time than a lot of people's uh jobs are so uh, it's busy. We, you know, in addition to the football game, which is our bread and butter and, you know, is what we're known for, you know, we do almost 60 other events during the course of the year. Most of them uh, youth and amateur sporting events, uh, but we also do the Manning Quarterback Award, and there's a ceremony that goes with that. Do the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award, and there's a ceremony that goes with that. We do the Greater New Orleans Sports Hall of Fame. We do the uh, the National Football Foundation, we do a scholar athlete lunch in every year where we recognize, you know, local high school student athlete football players and award some scholarships at that, you know, we're, so we're always uh, moving from one event to the next, you know, we're even in such uh, diverse things as, you know, we go from AAU basketball to soccer to sailing regattas to uh, you, you name it, we're probably involved in it in, in one event or another. So uh, we, we stay busy. We're a, a small staff here uh, of 11 people, and uh, but we're we're uh, it's a good group, and we manage to work well with the the committee, which is a volunteer group of 125 uh, business professionals from the New Orleans area, and they they in fact are the Sugar Bowl committee, and they employ us as a staff uh, that, that work at at their uh, direction. We have a uh, board of directors that I report to monthly, and and uh, we, we we stay busy. And of course, uh, in today's world, we're always raising money. That's uh, the biggest uh, factor, and and probably the biggest challenge we have on a year in and year out basis, because uh, the cost to play at at the level that we're at at the top of postseason college football is not uh, inexpensive, and so. We're always working uh, on that piece as well, so that we make sure that we, you know, we keep the position that we have. And the position that you have as CEO and running everything. Tell me about how you got to that point. I've done my homework on you, and uh, you went to Iowa, and then for undergrad, Western Illinois for grad school. Tell us how you got to the position where you are today. 
Well, it was kind of a uh, long and uh, circuitous uh, route that, uh, believe it or not, uh, began in a leather coat store in a mall in Omaha, Nebraska, which uh, after I graduated uh, uh, from Iowa, as you, as you referenced there, with a degree in journalism and really didn't have a lot of direction at that point in time and, and had... Uh, uh, you know, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I got married uh, straight out of college. And so my, and my wife was uh, already working in Omaha. And so we went there and the only job I could find at the time was managing a leather coat store in a the mall there. And, and uh, I quickly grew, found out that that wasn't the career for me. That's not quite the normal journalist route no. or sports <laughs> route in general. For sure it's not. So you probably and, looked good all the time, though. You probably had a great yeah, collection of jackets. Yeah, it was good. It was one of those deals, though. It, it, it all came to an end when I knew I had to do something different. When I <clears throat> was in an uh, exchange with a customer who was mad that I wouldn't take his, his leather uh, biker jacket back, and he swatted me across the face uh, with the sleeve of the jacket, and I jumped over the, the counter there and was chasing him out. <laughs> in the mall and I said wait a minute there's got to be something better but anyway uh kind of digressed but decided to you know to look for something that I was passionate about and I've always been passionate about sports and athletics I played for a couple of years in junior college basketball and uh you know just wanted to do something in athletics at the time there were only a handful of, of sports administration master's degree programs in, in the country and the closest one to where we were at was at Western Illinois and that kind of gave me uh, my start you know did a two-year program in a year um, and worked full-time as a graduate assistant at the same time so it was uh, it's amazing what you can get done when you're motivated a, a, a year in a, a leather coat store will do that to you but we, we uh, got through there and then, you know, be honest with you, when I, when I got out of graduate school, I had to do an internship and I really wanted to work in the NBA at the time and, and kind of spent most of my time, you know, pursuing opportunities there to do the internship. At the end of the day, I had two offers, one with the Golden State Warriors and another at the University of Georgia. And both paid just $500 a month for 10 months. Remember now I'm married and I'm facing the prospect of whether or not to move to Oakland, California or Athens, Georgia. And by default, sort of, I figured the 500 would go farther in, in Athens than it would right. in Oakland, California. So we went to Athens and it ended up being the best move we ever made. That, that we had seven great years in Athens. I, I did an internship and then they hired me full time there, uh, worked there uh, in, in the sports information office and then was later the editor of the Georgia Bulldog magazine and did a lot of the video projects um, that they had there. Wound up in New Orleans, uh, a, a good example and, and a lesson in making sure you, you, you make friends and, and stay connected along the way. My, uh, a guy that I'd gone to graduate school with, I'd stayed in touch with, he left Western and came to New Orleans to work for the Sugar Bowl when, when I went to Georgia and we stayed in touch. 
Well, over those seven years, he got promoted to the top, the CEO job and uh, asked me if I'd come over and be his right hand uh, after that. And, and we were looking for an opportunity. It was time to, to, for us to grow a little professionally, my wife and I. And, and uh, so we came up here, thought we'd be here three or four years and it's turned, uh, I think we just made 28 years here this wow. year. So we've uh, been here, it's been, been great job, met a lot of great people and it's a, every day is a new challenge. Was your perception kind of the outsider's perception now when he said, come work for the Sugar Bowl? Did you think it was one of those, yeah, that's a football game every New Year's? What did you know going into the job you have, you had previously and that you've now been elevated? I thought I knew a lot, but I found out I knew very little uh, coming in. It's, 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 there's really a lot to this job. And, and, you know, the interesting dynamic is working for a, a, committee of you know I, I referenced them earlier the the sugar bowl committee you know these people are all highly successful in their areas of, of work you know whether they own a business whether they're doctors we have a lot of attorneys and judges on the committee and uh working with them because they're their community they're very interested in new orleans and that's a big part of the dynamic to, together they form 33 different working committees and uh, you've probably done group projects while you've been in school and, and uh, imagine that on steroids uh, in terms of, of getting things done and, and uh, developing consensus among a, a large group. So uh, that, that was interesting. And then I, I had no idea all the other sporting events that uh, until I got here and involved. And uh, so that, that, again was something that I've, I've learned as we've gone along and we've added to that as as over the years and it's really been uh, exciting i i tell people this job is a lot of things but it's never boring every day is different and I, I think you know we had intended when we moved here the intent was to work in this job for three or four years and then go back uh, to at the university setting and wound up you know, fell in love with the, the, the job and, and the work and the people here and, and the city itself. And, and here we are, hope to hope to make a career out of it here. Absolutely. And this year's game was something that a year ago at this time, you probably couldn't have predicted in your wildest dreams. Mr. Hundley, would you walk us through this past year, as you said, you kind of just wrapped it up uh, in terms of finishing up the game and everything, but with COVID and it being especially um, prominent with it being a it's always a new year six but it being a playoff game this year what was that like in that process of obviously the rose bowl that alabama played in was moved to dallas so if you could just kind of un unpeel the curtain um on this year's college football playoff being in new orleans being at the sugar bowl well it was uh, definitely an interesting year to say the least uh i won't say it I mean, in many ways, it, it, it was unprecedented, but we had some experience here. Uh, I was here when Hurricane Katrina hit uh, years ago, and we were forced to, to pack up and, and put the game on in Atlanta that year. And it, it, we drew on that uh, throughout the year, the experience that we had there, because it, it, it became less daunting, I guess, the, the task that we had in front of us because of that experience that, that we'd been through. But you know, like everyone, you know, I'll be honest with you, when, when we found out about the, the pandemic and, you know, I guess it was mid-March of last year, 
you know, we were optimistic that by football season, you know, everything would be back to normal and we'd be, you know, things would be fine. And, and little did we know at the time. But uh, as the year went, we, you know, the biggest thing was, was to try to figure out, you know, how many sta uh, people we were going to be able to have in the building. We had to develop a, a COVID plan from scratch, uh, which involved testing, you know, the different types of testing, the frequency of testing. You know, we even went to, you know, for a while we worked at home as a staff and then we uh, came in, uh, you know, mid-summer and, and, you know, half the staff worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the office and the other half Tuesday, Thursday and everybody from home on the other days. And, you know, we had to stay in, constant contact you know we we have more autonomy when it's just a, a regular sugar bowl game but because we were a cfp semifinal game this year you know we answered to a bill hancock's group in dallas and and so they were involved you know in all the decision making process and you know we we wrestled with how long you know we typically have the teams for a week we had to you know it took us a, a number of months to whittle that down and you know to make this, which, you know, today makes common sense that, you know, that it should be a shorter stay, you know, given the COVID circumstances and it's safer for the teams and they want to stay healthy for another game, but it's not so easy to disengage. We've got contracts with hotels for, you know, that they weren't willing to, you know, right off the bat to just let us out of. And so there was a lot of that, you know, different partnerships that we had that, that had to change throughout the year. Um, all these things there's there, I mean there's too many to to list but you from A to Z our contracts we had to basically renegotiate everything during the year to to fit the circumstances that the pandemic uh, provided plus you know when the the whole COVID thing we were fortunate that uh, we had a, an expert uh, here in New Orleans at, at Tulane Hospital uh, a sports medicine doctor Dr. Greg Stewart who had was heavily involved in developing the COVID protocols for the American Athletic Conference. And so we leaned on him pretty heavily to help us develop our plan. And, you know, it had to be approved by the CFP. And ultimately, I think once we finally got to game week, we, we had to test, you know, the teams took care of their own testing, but anybody else that was involved in the game, we had to test and we tested over 500 people uh, multiple times and uh, wound up with only four positives. You know, you know, part of that too was a, an education process for our committee. Uh, you know, it was, it was a different year for them and really a tough pill for them to swallow because they really weren't able to be as actively involved as they typically are. They, you know, they helped us as we brought, you know, decisions to them that, that had to be made but uh, they, they couldn't get their roll up their sleeves and get the hands on and have the interaction with the teams and the coaches like that they typically do. And that was a disappointment for them, but they understood and, and we kind of rolled with it. And then uh, at the end, you know, you're familiar with the, you know, how the Rose Bowl got moved to Dallas because they couldn't have fans out there. Well, in early December, we were told by the city of New Orleans that we, our capacity be, would be 15,000. So, so we had waited all fall and had done contingency planning on how to, you know, 
how do you squeeze 70,000 people into 15,000 seats and who gets left out and how many go to the teams and all that. And we had, you know, been working on plans, but we finally had a number. And so we have, that was a fast and furious week at, at 15,000. Then a week later, I get a call from the city. Uh, things have gotten worse. We're going to cut you back to 6,000. And so we swallowed hard and, and went to work, you know, crazy trying to re, you know, revamp our plan for six. Get a call a week later, right before team selection. We're cutting you back to three. And by then it had been publicized how the Rose Bowl was in trouble of losing their game. And, and we were concerned, but long story short, you know, team selection comes, we get Clemson and Ohio state and, uh, 3,000 fans, they weren't happy. The schools weren't happy with it, uh, but it was kind of, it was what it was at that point. We had to to go with it. Uh, and it's understood, you know, they, especially when they see in Dallas, they were able to have 20 some thousand people in the stadium and, and we could only get three, uh, but we were ready to go. Well, two days before the game, I get a text from the chief medical officer with the city of New Orleans and the text simply said, got a minute. And at that, <laughs> at that point, my throat was in, or my heart was in my throat at that point. And uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to make that phone call, uh, but I did. And, and she started out with, which do you want first, the good news or the bad news? And I was like, oh man. And uh, I, she went ahead and said, the good news is we're going to keep you at 3,000. The bad news is no alcohol sales. So all things considered, we could live with that as long as we didn't have to backtrack from 3,000 and, and potentially lose the game. So uh, we got it played. It, it was without the pomp and circumstance. You know, we had to do away with a lot of the events, you know, team parties, you know, we do a New Year's Eve parade, a, do, a free New Year's Eve concert in the French Quarter, all these things that we typically do in, in conjunction with the game, we had to let go of. We had to make, you know, we probably did 17 or 18 different budget scenarios during the year. Wow. Uh, and this is a, you know, almost a $20 million operation, you know, every year. And, and, and uh, so we had to make some, quite a few adjustments. And a lot of those other events that we typically do during the year were casualties uh, of this. You know, we had to let them go for a year so that we could tighten our belt, but hopefully we'll be able to build some of those back in the future. But that's a long way to go to say it was a crazy year, but we got Absolutely. through it. And, you know, it was uh, just playing the game this year was, was deemed a success. Yeah, and we were able to get through. In relation to Selection Sunday, because uh, a lot of Alabama fans, with Alabama being the one seed, were expecting Alabama to go to New Orleans. And as you just mentioned, the days and the weeks go on and the capacity gets cut shorter and shorter. When, in relation to Selection Sunday, did you know that you were going to have the two and the three seeds in New Orleans? Well, we, we didn't know. We were as surprised because they don't, contrary to what a lot of people think, we, we watched the ESPN selection show along with the rest of uh, the country to find out who's going where. We, they don't give us a heads up uh, oh, wow. early on that to try to protect the secrecy, uh, you know, the integrity of, of the, uh, the selection. And we really thought that because of our, you know, the proximity of Alabama that we, even that day, we thought that we were going to have the Alabama Notre Dame game. And then found out, you know, when the selection came that it, it was going to be otherwise. And, 
and ultimately, I think, you know, they, they catered Alabama being the number one team. They, you know, rightly catered to Alabama and in, in terms of allowing them to go uh, to the venue that allowed the most fans. And so they could take care of, you know, more people uh, than, than anybody, you know, the other three teams in the, in the semifinals. So uh, it was understood. So we adapted and, and uh, you know, had, had a great game and turned out to be the most watched uh, of the two semifinal games and more, uh, actually had a better TV viewership than the national championship game this year. So uh, that's something that, that, that we're happy about as well. Absolutely. The, uh, the one semifinal game that did not involve Alabama, but Alabama has been involved in so many Sugar Bowls uh, in recent years and years past and Nick Saban as well. I mean, winning one, I believe his national championship at LSU was in the Sugar Bowl. Um, do you have a relationship with Coach Saban? Do you have any good Saban stories uh, yeah, from Coach his time Saban, at LSU or Alabama? You got to hand it to Coach Saban. He's he's just everywhere he's gone, he's he's been a, a produced winning programs and then done a, a great job and and uh, been you know this is a home away from from home for him. You know with with the success that that uh, he's enjoyed there. You know, I, I do have one or two Coach Saban stories, but in the interest of protecting my job, I think I'll uh, pass <laughs> on those. He's he's a good man and, and has done a lot of great things at, everywhere he's been. And, and, you know, certainly all of us here at the Sugar Bowl respect him greatly. I'll have to give you another call sometime off the record and we'd love <laughs> to hear those stories. Uh, I, I feel like that's most of the Nick Saban stories is, you know, make sure you're not recording, turn the camera off, and I'll, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Um, Suffice it to say that Coach Saban is a very intense man, and uh, but he's a good man, and and uh, you know again you can't argue with the success that he's had. Absolutely, and one thing I think just off the top of my head, he's so detail oriented, and you see the way that he runs the program at Alabama. It would be interesting, off the record, to pick your brain about how because he likes things run a certain way, and you're running an organization the way it needs to be run. Um, and just seeing how that would collide would surely make for an interesting story. But a couple quick hitters as we wrap things up here. Um, how has the Sugar Bowl changed since the inception of the college football playoff? Because we're only seven years in, and the Sugar Bowl has been around obviously much longer than that. How has the CFP changed the Sugar Bowl? Well, it, it has, you know, in many ways, it's, it's got had pros and cons uh, to it. It's, it's uh, the, the upside is that the, the playoff has proved to be overwhelmingly popular with fans and television viewers and, and uh, as a revenue producer for the, the folks that participate in the CFP, uh, it, it, it has not been the, uh, the revenue source that, you know, for the bowls uh, that, that we had previously enjoyed, but that was to be understood because that, that was part of the reasoning and in, in developing the program, you know, to get more money to fund uh, the athletic programs and, and departments across the country. So we, we certainly understood that. Um, the, the one downside, you know, not just on us, but on the entire bowl system is with all the focus on the playoff, it has served to kind of detract slightly from the rest of the bowl schedule. Uh, and that's something that we're trying to work to, to meet and, and figure out. You know, we've, we've been going at it. You know, the first few years of, of, the, of the playoff, you, you know, we didn't feel it was enough to really, you know, make the case. But we've been through seven years now, and it's, it's, it's pretty apparent um, that, that 
most of the focus and interest, you know, both fan-wise, television-wise, media coverage-wise, follows the, the CFP in the playoff. And so the challenge for us is to, to remain relevant in those uh, off years. We're fortunate that, that we are in agreement with the SEC and, and the Big 12 conferences in those off years uh, to where we get the next best team that uh, from those two conferences that, that doesn't play in, in the uh, CFP semifinals. So we've gotten good teams over the years and, um, you know, but you'll, from time to time, you'll get a team in, in one of, in that game that's disappointed because they didn't make the CFP. And if they're disappointed, their fans are disappointed. They don't travel as well. We don't have the economic impact for our city. You know, it, I should point out that the purpose of, of this organization and most bowl organizations is to drive tourism through college football. You know, we, we, we were started in 1935 as an organization that was, was going to bring hotel business and restaurant business to New Orleans during what was a dead time for the city. And, you know, we've stuck and been true to that mission for all these years now. Uh, but that, that impact is, while still great, is, is less now in the CFP era than it was. Right. And I want to ask you on this next quick hitter, um, the Georgia-Texas game a couple of years ago when, when Bevo went after Uga on the sidelines, you weren't in danger. Were you Were you in the splash zone, so to speak? No, I wasn't, but I was nearby. And, and one of our uh, committee members uh, who was just president of the bowl a couple of years ago, his wife was. She got kind of knocked over and she was all, ended up being okay. But uh, there were some people right there that, that uh, had to bail out of the way. But uh, we took a lot of heat for from the uh, PETA group for having them in, <laughs> in the building that year. But we, we think it adds to the spirit of, you know, of college football, having the live mascots when we can do it. Uh, so we, we learned a lesson, we'll have a better corral uh, next time, and we'll make sure that this, uh, the handlers have a firm grip on uh, whatever the animal is that they're absolutely in the building. Well, do you have a do you have a favorite game or a most memorable for a good reason? Maybe not because COVID, but maybe LSU winning it in uh, in essentially what was a home game, or do you have a favorite game that pops off in memory? You know, it's 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 hard. There's been so many of them right now, but you know, when I, I took over as actually it was the January of 2020 game was my first game as, as CEO, as I'd been the chief operating officer all those years prior to that. And that was my uh, first game over which I presided, you know, as, as the CEO and, and to have Georgia in that where I got my career started in the game and, and my old boss uh, from Georgia, Claude Felton, is still working at Georgia. He was there. That was a pretty special moment, uh, you know, that, you know, that game, just uh, for the fact that, you know, took a long time to, to get to this, this spot, but uh, I felt like something had been accomplished, and, and it just felt right to have uh, Georgia in the game since that's where it, it all started for me and my wife and family. Right. And then one more quick hitter here for you. Uh, obviously, you're a big sports guy. I'm a big sports guy. Uh, most people that listen to this podcast listen for the sports. But uh, just kind of off the wall here, in another life, 
say sports don't exist or you're not working in sports, what would your job be? What, what would you do in another life if you didn't have this job? Well, I just, I just started. I haven't given up on my, my uh, next career anyway. I just, for Christmas, I got a new bass guitar and I, I've never played an instrument in my life and I've always wanted to play uh, the bass. And so I, I almost have the beginning to Queens, we will rock you down on the, on the bass. There you go. There so you maybe go. I'll be, I would be, uh, you know, gigging for somebody somewhere along the way. Pick up a, uh, a a gig at a, a dive bar in New Orleans, or we might see you playing on Bourbon Street post-retirement. Who knows? Yes, indeed. All right. Well, Jeff Hundley, CEO of the Sugar Bowl, thank you so much for joining the Galloway Podcast. I really appreciate you making the time and sharing insight to your job, to this crazy past year, and then and everything you do um, as, a, as an Alabama student and somebody that's followed college football for years. You're a great organization and um, well-run, and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, William. It was good to be with you. Once again, thank you so much to Mr. Jeff Hundley for joining the Galloway Podcast, CEO of the Sugar Bowl. Really enjoyed that conversation. Hope you did as well. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, follow-up or feedback, let me know on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Just finishing up the busy season of the Sugar Bowl, gearing up for another year, and hopefully we can have as normal of a college football season as possible. And I know that Mr. Hundley wants to have a full 70,000 fan Sugar Bowl come 2022. So once again, thank you so much to him for the time. Thank you to his son, Ben, my friend here at the University of Alabama for setting the interview up and uh, putting the two of us in touch. Shout out to Ben Hundley on that. It's time to go around Alabama athletics, as we always do here on the Galloway podcast. And just right off the bat, if you follow Alabama athletics in the slightest bit you know that January could not have gone better. Alabama had, I think, a single-digit number of losses in all of its sports, and you might even be able to count the total number of losses on one hand. Alabama played exceptionally, performed exceptionally, was exceptional the whole month of January all across the board. A fantastic start to the new year for the Crimson Tide. And we'll go ahead and highlight some of those things, some of those memories, and obviously you're going to start with a national championship. Alabama bringing home number 18, Devontae Smith bringing home the Heisman Trophy. Men's basketball had a 10-game win streak that was snapped just last Saturday versus Oklahoma when Alabama played in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And we'll start with men's basketball. 14-4 overall, 9-0 in conference play. They had a 10-game winning streak, and they're playing some of the best basketball we've ever seen. Now, they entered the month of February, and historically, I think the number that Cecil Hurt put out there was Alabama's 15 and 19 in the month of February over the last four years. And so any player for the Crimson Tide that is playing on this roster this season has not been a part of a successful February. And that starts with the seniors not putting any blame on the seniors, just saying that there has not been success in the month of February, and Nate Oates is trying to change that. He addressed that in today's press conference. He said, yeah, I mean, the guys have mentioned that, and they're not thinking about that. They're trying to think about how you can get better. He shared a John Wooden quote with the media that he shared with the team. And so Nate Oates is not focused on the lack of success in past years in February. He knows they didn't do well last year, uh, and it was year one. But he his focus is on getting better and trying to get back to the point where they can have another win streak and they can play their best ball and peak 
once early March comes. So that's the focus. Once again, men's basketball, 14-4 overall, 9-0 in conference play. Women's basketball is 12-4 overall. They're 5-4 in conference play. So they're really trying to turn the wheel in conference play, not playing particularly well. They've had a tough schedule, tough teams. They played South Carolina twice. They played them twice in a month. And that is never a tall task, especially when they're ranked in the top five both times. Gymnastics is 4-0 undefeated. They're playing really well, competing really well, I should say. Uh, they've beaten Kentucky twice in two of their four meets. And when you look at the schedule for this week and what's coming up for Alabama Athletics, men's basketball playing LSU on Wednesday night. That game is at 6 p.m. on ESPNU. was originally on ESPN2, but thanks to... LSU's lack of success, so to speak, in recent games, that got the bump to ESPNU. Women's basketball is playing on Thursday at home versus Georgia. That'll be at 6 p.m. on the SEC Network. Track and field is at South Carolina this weekend. Men's basketball is on the road. That's a top 25 game in Columbia, Missouri. Women's tennis will host Furman this weekend. They also have I believe New uh, North Alabama tonight as well on Tuesday. And volleyball is on the road this weekend at Ole Miss. Volleyball is not having the best start to their season at all. So, I mean, really, they're 2-8. and eight. Um, But Lindsey Devine still trying to implement her style and her coaching ways in this Alabama volleyball program. But that's kind of a look at Alabama athletics and what's coming up. Men's basketball, really the focus right now, trying to get back to – another win streak. And, you know, once again, I want to harp on the importance of this season because it's NATO's second year. Alabama is a top 10 team in the country. And one loss is not going to make or break your season, especially when you lose to a team like Oklahoma. Sure, Alabama may lose another game or two or three this regular season or this year. But as long as you're peaking and trying to play your best basketball at the beginning of March... You're going to have a successful team, and that is the sign of a successful season. It's no longer when is Alabama going to fall apart. It's how is Alabama hitting their strides? How are they able to play so well? How did they run off a 10-game win streak? Nate Oates has established a new era of Alabama men's basketball, and that's important to note. So that's going to do it for Around Alabama Athletics here on Episode 66 of the Galloway Podcast. I want to thank you for choosing the Galloway Podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. You can check it out there and share it with your friends on your social media. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions at WM underscore Galloway. If you want any podcast merchandise, maybe some hats, a couple Comfort Colors t-shirts I have left, tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, let me know. Check out my sportscast weekends on Saturday and Sunday nights on WVUA23. You can stream that live on WVUA23.com or WVUA23 on cable. This is the Galloway Podcast, episode 66, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.